0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 1, that's where we're going to be going this morning, Uh, Luke chapter 1, and while you open there, I'm going to just share a story. Uh, A few years ago, my family started something that has become sort of a new Christmas tradition. Uh, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, had come out just about three years ago, and of course, With any Star Wars movie, there was so much hype and excitement, and I wouldn't say that my family is necessarily kind of a Star Wars crazy family, but we were all together for the holidays, and so, of course, we we went to go see this new movie together. Well, the next year, also around Christmas time, Star Wars Rogue One came out, and me and my brothers sort of rallied the parents and said, hey, we should go see this. So we did this again. We went to go see it, and then last year, Star Wars: The Last Jedi came out, and so again I was just like, "Well, we've done this the last two years. It's a Christmas tradition now. We have to go see the new Star Wars movie." So we did, and uh, this is fun. I don't know what we're going to do this year because I don't think there's a new Star Wars movie coming out. So I'm I'm sort of panicking, Um, but. Nonetheless, so, so my stepmom, among all of this, she loves Christmas traditions. Year after year, she had, would rally us, uh, orchestrated all of the brothers to sit down on the couch together on Christmas Eve so she could get her annual photo of the reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas. And this has happened uh, every year uh, up into this past year, and I presume it will probably keep happening. Uh, and this started as my stepbrother reading it to my younger brother when my younger brother was first born. Uh, but, but year after year, it's continued as, as we've all grown older and bigger. Uh, we just keep reading this and, and I always have to get that photo. But we have gotten a little creative with it along the way. Uh, in recent years, uh, one year we ran around the room and, and enacted it together. Uh, there was one year, I don't know if you've seen Jimmy Fallon Slow Jam the News. We sort of read it in that style. We slow jammed was the night before Christmas. Um, there was another year that rather than slow jamming, we, we read it as quickly as possible, each page to one of us, and then we'd toss it to the next person like hot potato. I think we made it through the whole thing in less than a minute. Uh, so, so we love Christmas traditions, and my stepmom has loved orchestrating this, but she wasn't a huge fan of this new emerging Star Wars Christmas tradition, because she is not that into the sci-fi action movies. And she was, why do we have to do, go do this again? Why, why is it that when we're all together as a family, you all have to go see this, this sci-fi movie? And so last year, when The Last Jedi had come out, she said, all right, I'm just going to let the guys go and see that. I'll go see something else. And another movie that had come out last year, I don't know if any of you saw it, was a movie called The Greatest Showman. It's a movie about P.T. Barnum and the, the beginning of the, the modern-day circus uh, and that sort of thing. She loves movies and stories about people and history and stuff like that. She was really interested in this one, and she went to go see it. And when she saw it, she was in for a surprise. Because it turned out to not just be a movie about P.T. Barnum. It was a musical about P.T. Barnum. And one scene after another, people were breaking out into song and dance routines and, and all kinds of stuff. And, and she loved it. She really loved it. It was a great time, but it was a surprise because uh, it was, it turned out to be a musical. Well, if you've gotten to the Gospel of Luke, th- this surprising experience is actually very similar to reading the Gospel of Luke because we come to it expecting it to be a story about Jesus. And it is. But as we get to reading it, we find out that it's actually a musical about Jesus. If you're there, take a look. Just about halfway through the first chapter, starting in verse 46, it breaks into verse as Mary breaks out into song. And then if you keep looking a little bit farther down in verse 67, again, you have a break in the paragraphs and it becomes verses. Zechariah breaks out into song. In the next chapter, you have angels coming down and the whole choir singing to the shepherds in the fields. This book these first few chapters are a musical you even have the little baby john the baptist doing some dancing inside of his mother's womb which we're going to read about here in a little bit this is a fantastic story and it's actually a celebration and a musical so as we get into these songs of the season that we're talking about we're going to be looking at each of these songs in the opening chapters of luke over the next few weeks So last week was sort of a prelude from the prophet Isaiah, and now we pick up with Mary's song. So I'm going to go ahead and read most of her story, so I'm going to begin in verse 26 and read through. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, But how can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary said, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. In verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and for this story and for this season that is filled with songs and celebration. God, I ask that as we study these words, that you would soften our hearts and sharpen our minds, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there is so much to be said about this story and about all all that we just read, and we're going to talk about a lot of it, but I want to specifically look at Mary's song that we just read and that we also just sang together here. The song has a wide range of of scope. It begins very personally with Mary as she uh, begins, but then as it moves on, she begins to speak of of these, these larger things, of the powerful and the lowly, of the rich and the poor, of ancestors and descendants. It's both deeply personal and widely universal. And this mix of personal and universal is central to who we understand God to be. It's central to how we understand the gospel. And it's central to the mystery of the incarnation that we spend time reflecting on often this time of year. Because the universal God who rules over all things came to earth, took on flesh, and very personally walked among us. And still to this day, God is at work redeeming the whole world But as we talked about last week, his spirit is moving very personally in the depths, in the roots of our hearts. So, as we reflect on Mary's song this morning, I want to focus on both that personal and universal scope of three themes that I see in the song. And those themes are grace, justice, and faithfulness. Grace, justice, and faithfulness. So starting with grace, that first theme, it's found in verses 46 to 49. And and so in this section, that phrase that she says, he has looked with favor on his servant, I think is a reference back to verse 28, where the angel comes to her and says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. And those words, actually in the Greek, those words, greetings, and also the word favored one, both have the same root word, and that root word is the word grace. So in this section, in this song, it begins with grace. The story is filled with God's grace, and that's what Mary begins singing about. The first part of this song Is the most obviously personal part as she cries out, My soul, my spirit, right? And I think that's how most of us first experience grace. Most of us are awakened to grace on a very personal level. He forgives our sins, He washes over us in the waters of baptism. These are the places where we experience grace, and it's a very personal experience. So we, like Mary, can break forth in song to proclaim, My soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices, and God my Savior. But as I said, this is not only a personal expression of grace. It's also a very universal one. Because she moves from my soul and my spirit to from now on all generations will call me blessed. And indeed, what God is doing in Mary here stretches on for all generations, not only in eternity, but also back to the very beginning. Remember that image that we began with last week? If you were here, that image of felled forests and desolate landscapes. The promise that we read about last week was that a shoot would spring forth from the stump of a fallen tree, that God was going to reverse the curse that had entered the world. And in this exchange between Mary and the angel, the shoot is beginning to spring forth. And this exchange reminds us, I think, of another scene with a woman, an otherworldly messenger, and another tree, back in the Garden of Eden. You see, the curse entered the world through an exchange between a woman and an otherworldly messenger. But God saw that it was fitting for the curse to be reversed in that same way, for salvation now to enter the world through a woman greeted by, not a serpent, but an angel. This past week, I was reading Thomas Oden's classic Christianity, which is a collection of the earliest teachings of faith, both in Scripture and also the first few centuries. And he writes this. He says, the faithful had better understand Eve from the perspective of Mary rather than understanding Mary from the perspective of Eve. He says, those who criticize Christianity for having a sexist view of Eve's fall do well to ponder the meaning of the special role that Mary had in the recovery of humanity from the fall. Eve alone is an incomplete story. Mary is the new Eve, just as Christ is the new Adam. The narrative of Eve cannot be rightly read without Mary just as Adam's story is incomplete, apart from Christ. And so, as I was reading this, I was just reflecting on it, and this is why I want to emphasize again and again that women play a crucial role, not only in God's story, but in our story, in our life of faith together. And this isn't just some sort of new, progressive idea trying to keep up with the times. It was only a 100 years after Paul was writing and in the 2nd or 3rd century, Origen pointed out that before John the Baptist baptized, Elizabeth prophesied. We just read that. That before Jesus was even born, Mary sang. He wrote, Sin began from the woman and then spread to the man, but in the same way, salvation had its first beginnings for women. So God truly is reversing the curse. Just as the curse came into the world, now the curse is being sent away. It's being healed. He brings shoots from fallen trees. He births from barren and virgin wombs. This is a picture of God's grace. Where there was sin, there is now salvation. Where there was sorrow, there is now joy. And where there was a curse, there is now blessing. That is why this time of year we sing together. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Verse 49 says, The mighty one has done great things. And this is true. So moving on down to verse 50 we see that there's this shift from grace to justice. You may remember this theme from last week as we read that the Christ would come to judge the poor with righteousness and with equity. Well, here we have a similar concern for the poor and the lowly and the hungry. The good news of the coming Messiah is that all that is wrong in the world is going to be made right. That vast inequality is going to be equaled out. And this is the image that we read earlier in the service in Isaiah chapter 40, right? That valleys are lifted up, mountains are brought low, uneven ground becomes level, and rough places are made a plain. This is a picture of justice and a picture of equality. And this is the same thing that Mary sings about here in verse 52. Says he has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and he's lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Justice throughout the scriptures is different from how we usually think about it. Because it's not primarily about punishing the guilty, it's about protecting the innocent and providing for those in need. It's about making uneven ground level. And that's actually what justice means. Do any of you ever use a word processor? Microsoft Word? If you're familiar with this, you know that there are four different ways of aligning the text. One of them is to align it on the left side of the page. Another one, you can align it on the right side of the page. Another one, you can align it to the center of the page. But what's that fourth one? It's called justified. And it aligns it to both sides of the pages so that it's even on both the left and the right. That's what it means to be justified. Uneven places become leveled out. That's what justice is. So when we think of justice on a universal level, It's really beautiful to know that the hungry are going to be fed, that the poor are going to be provided for. But when we begin to think of justice on a personal level, it gets a lot more complicated and a lot more difficult. Because many of us are rich and powerful. We have to be honest about that. To those of us with money and with influence, this text hardly seems like good news. But as followers of Jesus, it's a call to righteousness. It's a call to service and to generosity. It's a call to get off of our thrones. A call to give up our possessions. And really, that's a picture of the community that Jesus brought into being. Do you remember the story in Acts? You see people in the early church selling their possessions to share with one another. You see a picture of people serving one another. And if we're honest, I think this actually can be good news to those of us who have power and money. Because for us, it means that we can be free from the pressures of performance and perfection, the pressures that are most poignant during this season to buy all new things or have the flashiest decor. In the justice of Christ, we are free from the tyranny of all of our stuff. We're free to give it away to those who have need. We're free from the pressures of our power so that we can live humble lives in service to others. And this freedom is a good thing, but this call is hard. And yet we can remember, as Mary is singing this song of the powerful leaving their thrones, of the rich becoming empty, that at the birth of her son, Jesus, Jesus, The most powerful ruler of all, the ruler of heaven, left his throne. The one who had possessed all things now owned nothing. As Paul wrote in Philippians 2, Christ emptied himself and was born in human likeness. And so as we grow in generosity and in service, we grow in Christ who is the most generous and most humble, the one who did not come in great power, but as a little baby born in a stable. This is the justice that Mary sings about. And so finally, in verses 54 through 55, she sings about God's faithfulness. She says, "'He has helped His servant Israel.'" In remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he has made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This news that the angel has brought to Mary is a fulfillment of God's promises made generations before. Whenever God said to Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through his descendants... Now there comes the one who is going to redeem the whole world. When God said to David that his descendants would always sit on the throne, there now comes the one who will truly reign for all eternity. In the coming of Christ, we see the faithfulness of God from one generation to the next. And that, I think, is really what this season is about. I think that's really what Advent is about. It is a long meditation on the faithfulness of God, who fulfills all of his promises. You see, Advent is not primarily about remembering the birth, but rather waiting for the return. We're all here waiting and wondering if God is going to keep his promise and come back. Wondering if he really is going to break the curse of sin. Is he really going to wipe away every tear? Is he really going to heal every sickness and make all things new? The question in our hearts through this season is, God, are you faithful to your promises? And the answer that Mary sings is a resounding yes. He has helped Israel. He has remembered his mercy. During this season, we wait for his second coming by remembering his first. Because God is faithful from one generation to the next. As we reflect on his first coming... We remember that he is faithful, and he will come again. And this is like the other themes we've been reflecting on this morning. It is both wonderfully universal and deeply personal. So, as I draw to the close this morning, I want to leave you with a few simple practices as you go into the week. Pray, sing, and serve. Let this week be a week of prayer, singing, and service. As we consider God's faithfulness, may we be a people who pray. Because during this season, as I just said, we wait with longing and with anticipation for Christ's return. So where are the places in your life that you ache for healing? Where you're in desperate need of hope? What are the promises that you are waiting for God to fulfill? Pour these things out to him. May this week be one filled with prayer. And as we consider God's grace, let's sing just like Mary did. Where have you experienced God's grace in your life, both in years past and in the present? Let your soul magnify the Lord along with Mary. Let your spirit rejoice in the God who has saved you and is saving you still. Let this week be one that is filled with song and praise. And as you consider God's justice, what is God calling you to be generous with? Who is God calling you to see and to serve during this season? Let this word of challenge stir you up to action. And for those of you who do find yourself in the valleys, in the low places, may you trust that God is the one who lifts up the valleys, who raises up the lowly, As we consider his justice, may we serve. And so, let this week be filled with prayer, song, and service. Pray, sing, and serve as we wait with anticipation for Christ to come again. Amen.